0: Let's consider the words of 1 John chapter 5, verses 13 to 21. This is what John says. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Now, as we conclude this epistle, John tells us to whom he wrote the, wrote it and to, and why he wrote this particular letter. Notice first in verse 13, to whom John writes this letter. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. And so the book is not written for unbelievers, but for those who believe in Jesus Christ, as the Son of God, notice secondly why John writes to believers in that in verse thirteen that you may know that you have eternal life. The assumption here is that not all believers have the assurance of their salvation, and it was the burden of the apostle that all believers in Jesus Christ know their destiny and know that they have eternal life through him. And throughout the book, we've seen how he is focused on that particular theme. He begins by introducing us to the word of life. He reveals four barriers to fellowship in Christ in chapters 1 and 2. He then gives us four tests of true faith in chapters 3 and 4. He reminds us of the love of God in chapter 4. He spends the first part of chapter 5 speaking about new life in Jesus Christ and the absolute certainty of the person and work of Jesus Christ. And the goal, of course, is very clear clear, to help believers have the assurance of their salvation. And so John tells us here that we can know that we have eternal life. And we know this by the promises of his word and the person of Christ in us transforming our lives. Now, consider this for a moment. Those to whom John wrote struggled to be sure that they had eternal life. And there were all kinds of questions going through their minds. How can Jesus accept me? If if Jesus has accepted me, how can I possibly live a life that is worthy of his name? John has shown me the obstacles of faith and fellowship, but how can I overcome those obstacles in my life? He's shown me that what it means to believe, but how can I demonstrate those qualities in my life? These were obviously questions that many of those that struggled with the assurance of their salvation had in their own hearts. And understanding the nature of those to whom God, uh, John writes, uh, helps us to understand what he's saying here in this final section of the epistle. So, understanding the nature of those to whom he writes and the questions that they had, John replies, and this is the confidence, verse 14, that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now, do you see what John is telling us who are uncertain of how to live the Christian life? John tells them... Ask the Lord. He will hear you. You don't have to live this life on your own. You can't, in fact, live it on your own. You you just ask the Lord. Jesus, help me overcome the flesh. Jesus, give me strength to face this trial. Jesus... Teach me to pray. Jesus, show me your way and your purpose. And John promises to those that are seeking the will of God that they have his ear. It is the delight of Christ to help those of us who want to walk in his way. The ear of Christ is attentive to those who cry out to him for to, to for his will to be done in them. And John goes on in verse 15 and he tells those who are struggling to understand this. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. God hears says John those who ask according to his will those who want to walk in his purpose will have no lack god will supply all our needs according to his riches in christ jesus everything to do his will and to become everything he intends us to become and so to the timid of faith and those who are uncertain as to whether they are truly saved and whether they could ever live the christian life. John says, my God shall supply all your needs. You will have no lack of resources to accomplish his purpose. You will have no lack of strength to do his will. All you need to do is to submit to him and ask him for grace. And he will see that you have everything necessary to accomplish what he has for you to accomplish. Notice also here that John tells us that God will not only hear our prayer for our own needs, but also for those of our brothers and sisters. In verse 16, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that we should pray for that. Now, John is telling us here that we need one another. And so we not only have the support of God to live the life God has required us to live and and that he intends us to live, but we also have others, believers, brothers and sisters to stand with us, to ask God on our behalf. And, And John is telling us here that God will hear and give life to those who have fallen away. Now, notice what we need to pray. For a brother who is committing a sin, that God would give him life. Notice two details here. First, the individual spoken of here is a brother. And and even believers fall into sin and need to be restored. And sin seems to strip us of the vitality of our relationship and life with in, in Jesus Christ and, and the life of Christ that's demonstrated in the fruit of the spirit that is in us of joy and peace and all of those fruits are, are exposed and revealed the life of Christ in us as we demonstrate those. But sin seems to strip us of this vitality and, and these spiritual qualities are tarnished in us. Now, that's not to say that we've lost our salvation, but rather that we're not experiencing the fullness of Christ and his fruit in us. And John is telling us that when we see a believer in this situation who is who is. Who's wandering from the path that God has intended? We are to pray that God would give him life. That's to say that God, that God would, uh, that this believer would experience the fullness of Christ's life in him and that the power of Christ in him would overcome sin and restore him to life and a dynamic relationship with the Father. I've seen all too many Christians being defeated by their sin and living in their sin. I've experienced it myself. And the call of God to us here is to live in victory. And sometimes that requires brothers and sisters identifying with us, noticing where we are, and crying out to God on our behalf that God would give us life in Christ and new zeal and new vitality and new enthusiasm in that life that we have in Jesus Christ. And John tells us that as we cry out to God on behalf of our brothers and sisters who have fallen, God will give them life. Notice what John tells us here. Let me read verse 16 once again. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who, do, who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. So John tells us that there is, a, there is sin that leads to death. Now, the death referred to here seems to speak of a final judgment. And there are a number of examples of this in the Bible. Consider, for example, what God told Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 7 and verse 16. Listen to the words of God to the prophet about his people who had turned to idolatry and rejected the Lord their God. Jeremiah 7 verse 16. As for you. Speaking to Jeremiah, God says, Do not pray for this people, or lift up a cry or prayer for them, and do not intercede with me, for I will not hear you. Now, John tells us that we're not to pray for certain people who are are committing sin leading to death. Jeremiah Here's the same thing from God, where God tells him that they're not to pray, that he is not to pray for these people because he would no longer hear Jeremiah's prayer on their behalf. God had determined to judge them for their sin, and the sentence had been passed, and the final decision had been made, and there would be no more appeals. This, according to God, was a sin unto death. Now consider also the words of Jeremiah, uh, to of the God to Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 14 and verses 11 and 12. The Lord said to me, do not pray for the welfare of this people. So they fast, I will not hear their cry. And so they offer burnt offering and grain offering. I will not accept them, but I will consume them by the sword, by famine. And by pestilence. Notice once again that God tells Jeremiah that he had heard the last prayer for this people. He would no longer listen to their cry. They had made their last appeal, and there would be no more appeals. And instead, God would pass his sentence, and that sentence was to consume them by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. No more petitions on their behalf, their sin was sin unto death. In Acts chapter 5, we read the account of Ananias and Sapphira who deceived the church into thinking that they had given more than they had. Now, there was a deliberate and, and planned disobedience to God on the part of both husband and wife. They were going to lie to the church. And when they lied to Peter about this, God took their lives and they dropped dead on the spot. The sin of Ananias and Sapphira was sin unto death. Listen to what's happening, what was happening in the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verses 29 to 30. For everyone who eats and drinks, speaking about the table of the Lord, without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. 1 Corinthians 11, 29 and 30. There were people in the church in Corinth who were taking part in the table of the Lord while living an ungodly lifestyle. And Paul tells the Corinthians that the result of this hypocrisy was that many of them were weak and ill, and some had died. Some of these Corinthian Believers had so angered the Lord in this matter of eating at the table that he determined to take their lives to stop this blasphemy. These individuals had sinned unto death. The sin unto death may not be a particular sin. But it is the final judgment of God upon an individual and no prayer will change the mind of God once he has determined that the last appeal has been made. Now John makes it clear that not all sin leads to death. In verse 17, all wrongdoing is sin. But there is sin that does not lead to death. Forgiveness is still extended to those who sin. Notice, however, that John speaks in this verse about those who keep on sinning. Verse 18, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. Now, this reference to keeping on sinning is important. Generally, those who have accepted Christ do not, according to John, keep on sinning. Now, consider this for a moment before we move forward. Are you a Christian? Do you sin? Do you keep on sinning? If you're honest with yourself, and I'm honest with myself, we all have to admit that even after years of knowing the Lord, we keep on sinning. But what happens when we sin? We confess that and we get right with God. But what happened to the members of the church in Corinth? They continued to eat at the table of the Lord without seeking forgiveness. And they continued to do that and they became sick and they died. What happened to the early church when Ananias and Sapphira lied and persisted in that lie? They too died. So it's a serious matter to resist the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our lives and to persist in sin. Writing to the Hebrew Christians, the writer to Hebrews says this in Hebrews 10, and 27, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. There are those who willingly continue in their sin and rebellion against God's purpose for their lives. And God will certainly keep those who are his. But at the same time, no one can live in willful and deliberate rebellion against God and expect that they will not be judged. So John concludes by reminding the believers that they're from God and the world around them lives in the power of Satan. And John distinguishes the believer from the worldly by telling us that we're not the same kind of people. In verse 20, he tells us that we know the Son of God has come and we know his death. We know all about this Jesus who has come as the Messiah in Christ. We've been given an understanding of the truth by the Spirit of God who reveals that to us. We are in Christ, in a relationship and under his protection. And so he writes and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. And in light of this reality that we are a different people, that we are in Christ. John pleads with believers to keep themselves from idols. Little children, he says, keep yourself from idols. God will keep us, but there is a submission on our part to him. God's help is helps us to overcome, but we must be willing to receive that victory. God will help us to keep us from persistent sin, but we must be willing to walk in that strength. And John ends by pointing us to the Savior as our hope of eternal life and ability to walk and live as God intends. But he challenges us as believers to keep ourselves from idols. Nothing must take Christ's place in our lives. We must keep our hearts pure before him. We must strive towards the finish line in his strength, in his grace. We must, Let nothing stand between us and our God. Our hope and victory is in the Lord. And that light, in that light, we need to continually seek him. We must continually draw upon his strength and must continually be and walk in his purpose. God will give us the victory, what we ask for in his name and according to his will, he will give to us so that we can live and walk in this life that he has intended for us. So may God give us victory and grace to overcome as we cry out and ask him in daily surrender to his purpose.